God, uh, we humbly come before you. Father, teach us what it means to come humbly before you. Laying down all that we are for all that you are, Father. And uh, I ask now that you would uh, guide my words and our thoughts, Lord, and you would free us from distraction and then we might purely hear from you this morning, God. And Lord, I know you are drawing my heart in and I, I sensed you're drawing many hearts in to, to listen to what it is that you have to say to us not just this morning, but through all the, the chaos of weather, Father, and, and the current climate that we see ourselves in, Father. Floods, tornadoes, storms, God, allow us to listen in closely to, uh, to what you have to say to us this morning. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name. Amen. Have a seat if you would. So, uh, Wednesday, if you guys were uh, like me, you spend a little bit of time in your basement with uh, tornado sirens and warnings and stuff going on, and um, I'm a little bit, a little bit jumpy when a siren goes off these days. Um, we have some guests here who might not know. My house was smoked in the Good Friday tornado, and um, Bree, who Vince referred to as my 19-year-old daughter who uh, escaped somehow. Uh, I counted a miracle. Uh, anyway, so I get a little jumpy when the tornado sirens go off. And uh, so the tornado sirens go off and me and my, my family go down into the basement and I'm on the laptop and Jen's in front of the TV kind of tracking the weather and whatever. And uh, So we'd spent, I don't know, an hour or so in the basement that night and so it's, it's time to go to bed. And my general schedule for, for sermon prep, it looks like this, is Monday or Tuesday I'll kind of read through the text that I'm going to preach through and uh, then sometime on, that happens on Monday, then I kind of take Tuesday and Wednesday to just kind of wrestle with it in my brain then come back to it uh, sometime on Thursday morning to, to really begin to deal with it deeply. So this is Wednesday, and I've done a lot of this prep work and stuff already, maybe spent a couple hours thinking about it. I'm laying in bed, ready to go to sleep, and uh, just ringing through my head are, are Facebook posts, tweets, people that have said something to me about what is, ask the question of me or just generally, what, what is, what's going on here? What is happening? Why why are all these things happening at once? All these floods, the Alabama tornadoes, the Good Friday tornado here, and, and the stuff in Joplin. What is going on? What is God? Where is God? What is he trying to say to us? And, or is he, I, I hate you, God, and just those sort of things that are, that are coming in. So if God is in control of everything, and he loves me, what in the world is happening? And so all these questions are ringing in my head, and for me, that's a really dangerous thing. Like it, It's like 11.30 midnight, because... I just keep wrestling and keep thinking and keep thinking and keep thinking and all of a sudden it's two in the morning and uh, I don't know if you're like me, but when I have thoughts at like one in the morning, half asleep, they don't, they're completely incoherent. Uh, so I decide, all right, God is trying to, God is speaking to me. So I get up and go downstairs and 
start reading through some scripture and praying and uh, just begin to sense that, that God is moving us in a different direction. We're in the middle of a series called The Gospel in Life, and I was preparing to, to talk to you about what the gospel says about work in our lives, and we'll get to that next week. Um, felt like God was saying, just lay that down, and, and I want to talk to you, and then I want you to talk to people about what I'm trying to say, what's going on. So we're going to think this morning, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, just thinking about what it is that God is trying to say to us, and not just in the context of these storms, um, but just suffering, evil, difficulty, hardship in general. What is, where is, what is God's role in that, and what is he trying to tell us in pain and suffering? I love the quote that Vince said, is it uh, from, from Lewis, that, you know, God whispers in, what is it, Vince? He whispers in, in, in our pleasures, and he shouts in our pain. Okay, so if God is shouting in our pain in this midst, what, it, what exactly is it that he's, that he's shouting? And so, I've done a lot of, a lot of prayer and a lot of reading through Scripture this week, and, and I, think, uh, I think we can shed some light on what it is that, that God is saying to us. But that, that Wednesday night, Thursday morning, this was probably about 1 o'clock in the morning that I read this, this tweet uh, from a guy named Steve Inge, who planted a church uh, very similar to us. I've, he's a, a friend of mine, and, and they planted maybe 9 or 10 months before we did, so they're just a, a bit older. They're about 5 years old right now, planted in Joplin. Um, and he said this about one in the morning on Thursday, in the midst of such mind-blowing tragedy, I wonder how people outside of Joplin just continue with life as usual. Then I think, oh yeah, that was me. We, so many times, if, if it's not directly influencing us, we kind of pass it off, but we can learn from what God is, what God is saying. And before I, I get into this, I, one of the things that I pray deeply about is that God would, would make my words merciful words. Because I'm going to talk about suffering. I'm going to talk about loss. I'm going to talk about pain. And, and I can't. My, my wife is one of the six that's in Joplin. She's actually on her way back right now with, with a few of the other North Church people. And, and I can't. I mean, this goes out on the podcast, so I don't know who's going to hear this. But I, I, want, I want you to know, if you here have experienced loss. I, I, I pray that the words that I'm going to speak are words of, of mercy to who you are and where you are in this moment. And, and I also pray that there, if you haven't suffered deeply to this point in your life, you will. And I pray that these words are, are filled with mercy. We, on your bulletin that, that Charlie R. handed to you was every single scripture that I'm going to read this morning— Put that in a conspicuous place where in three years you'll know where it is that, that the words of Christ, the words of God would pour over you as mercy in a time of darkness and a time of need. Um, so this morning is not just about storms, but about where is God in the, the middle of, of these, of evil, of difficulty, of suffering. Um, so there's a few things that I that I want to bring to mind of, of what God is trying to say to us, specifically in these storms, but in just in general, the storms of life. And first, it is to have a God-centered view of circumstances. God is speaking to you today, 
and through storms, through difficulty, that you would have a God-centered and not a self-centered view of circumstances. Um, I have... Probably the, the greatest loss that I've experienced in my life is my wife miscarried twice. And uh, if, if you've been around miscarriage before, it's, it's, it's a hard thing. And the first one wasn't quite so hard. God gave me a strength and a peace to get through it. And then the Hannah Grace was born, and then we had another miscarriage. And that second miscarriage, I was angry at God. I was a youth pastor at the time. It was my job to point people towards God. There are some people in this room who were in my youth group at that, at that point. I was angry. I was mad at God for about six months. Um, because God had taken from me. And the point is, is that I was very self-centered. How did what God did or what God allowed to happen affected me and who I was? Not God-centered. Um, another tweet that I, I read from Steve... Inge, the Joplin pastor this, morning, or this, this week, is this. Uh, he lunch with several folks from Mystery. Mystery is the church that he pastors. Um, I, and they said this, I don't know what I'd do if my church was gone too. This is my family, and I'm seeing that more than ever. And the point is, is this statement is this, the self-centeredness of it could be, I've lost, I've lost, I've lost. But the God-centeredness of this is that I experience and know the value of God and the value of relationships and the value of the church now in the midst of this tragedy more than I would had this tragedy not occurred. That's the, the sentiment that's being, being spoken here. And, and that is the sentiment that we have to grasp onto. Um, I want to show you a, a bit of a video. Go ahead and, and, and roll that one. This is uh, Steve Inge, the pastor from Mystery. Hi, my name is Steve Inge. I'm lead pastor of a church called Mystery here in Joplin, Missouri. Um, we were hit this week by an F5 tornado, and uh, this is the result. This is uh, the home of one of our members and their family. And, uh, to look around here, you would not think anyone could have survived, but by God's grace, they did. So we are uh, as joy in the midst of much, much sorrow. What you see here on TV and what you, um, you, you, can't, you can't know, you can't, until you're here, there's, there's, you can't, even if you're here, you can't begin to explain it or comprehend it. It's just massive, massive devastation. But I think what, we're here, what we can see here physically in, in our city in Joplin is our world without Christ. It is, it is devastated and it is demolished. And God plants churches in cities to see the gospel go out and to um, repair and restore and rebuild those cities. Um, and, and we are now just we, just, we get to see it now. It's all around us, but we get to see it now. And so God planted us about five years ago, and we had no idea that what we would be doing was being part of, of not just restoring, but rebuilding an entire city. Uh, I, and, and I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your encouragement, your support. Thank you for the, the outpouring of your generosity. And I would just 
just ask that you continue to hold us in prayer and, and lift us up before the Lord for the hard work that we'll have to do and, and just invite you to join us in that work. It's going to be a long, long process, so be, please be patient with us um, in, the, in the days and months and weeks and, and probably years to come. We, we love you. We're very thankful for those uh, that love the gospel and love Christ and are, are in this world to see it changed um, by the power of the gospel. Thank you guys. Thank you very, very much for all you're doing. God is trying to get your attention off of yourself and onto him. If you hear one thing this morning, hear that. If you hear one thing when you look at images like that one you just scrolled across the screen. God is trying to get your attention off of yourself and onto him. Listen to, to these scriptures. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And just stop and understand that no suffering that you will ever experience on this planet will ever match the suffering that Christ encountered for your sake. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. The religious leaders of the day were the ones that were going to make him suffer and be killed and on a third day be raised. And so Peter, he's the leader of the disciples. The leader says, verse 22, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter rebuking Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And that's us in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of difficulty. This, God, this can't be you. You can't be the one bringing this suffering and pain and destruction into this planet. This is Peter, the leader of the disciples, the, God who Jesus, the guy who Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on you. He's messing up. And what is Christ's response to him and his self-focused, earthly-focused statement that you will not have to suffer, Lord? Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. Do you see, when we are focused on self, Christ is saying, get behind me, Satan, because you are a hindrance to me. You are blocking me. You, when, when we're focused on the temporal, we are a hindrance to God. Have a God-centered view of circumstance. Go on here. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You are not setting your, things, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Have a God-centered view. The words of Christ himself saying, in the midst of suffering, and I'm about to suffer, don't think of your current situation. Don't think of your current circumstance. Try to find what it is that I'm speaking to you. Have a God-centered view of circumstance. Martin Luther says this, they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? Let that marinate. And this is where, this is where I, 
I've, I've prayed that God would allow these words to be merciful words. Because the crown of roses that I had to wear on Good Friday was a slightly injured daughter and a destructed house that was fully insured. Big deal. The crown of thorns that you might have to wear, or you might be currently wearing, may be much worse than this, but I pray mercy from God onto your soul. The, the crown of thorns that a little boy who had to lay under rubble for 36 hours next to his dead mom and sister, I can't imagine, as he had a shingle stuck in his ribs. The crown of thorns that the, do you guys see the, the wife the, 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 of the, the lady who her husband covered her and something punctured his, his back and he laid dead on her? I can't imagine the, that crown of thorns. But understand why they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of, of roses? Because Christ wants to speak to you to understand that here on this planet, the stuff that you endure, the stuff that you encounter is not what you were created for, but perfect communion with him is what you're created for. And God uses difficulty to get our freaking minds off our freaking selves and our freaking pitiful circumstances. Because with him is perfection. We'll get to that more in a second. The second thing for us to know is that you are here to know Jesus and to make him known. I run around this earth worried about raising kids and loving my wife and, and being who people expect me to be and, and worrying about and just struggling. And what I'm here for and what you're here for is to be shaped into the, the mold of Christ and to speak that truth to other people. You're not here for your comfort. You're not here for a comfortable life. You're not here for a good house. You're not here for a healthy family. You're not here for well-adjusted children. You're not here for any of that. God allows us to, to see that and experience that, and we need to seize those moments for opportunities to, to see his hand. But God whispers in pleasure, and he shouts in pain. Philippians 3, and all these verses are going to be above me, so don't try and flip there because we're going to be everywhere this morning. Philippians 3. The difficulty in this life is not about you, it's about him. Because there's nothing better than knowing him. Verse 7. For whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. And the language there is gaining Christ, knowing Christ, understanding who he is. Indeed, verse 8, I count everything as loss. The comfort of life, well-adjusted, healthy children, loss. A, a house with a roof, a good job, loss. Compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Uh, that's the Greek word for dung. In order that I may gain Christ, I'm willing to lose everything and look at everything, all the comfort that I strive for on this planet, I see as dung compared to knowing Christ. You aren't here to be comfortable. 
So when God takes your comfort, don't think that God is taking from you. He's speaking to you. Because I want to gain Christ, and I want to be found in him, reading from verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In verse 10, listen to this closely. That I might know him in the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I lay everything of who I am down because of who he is and to know him. Second Corinthians. <clears throat> this is a beautiful passage. Paul again speaking. Second Corinthians 12, verse 7. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me. But he said to me, God's speaking in the midst of difficulty. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Do you think the people running around Joplin with, with injured or deceased or missing family members in a destroyed house have any sort of misconception that they have any control over life? That they have any sort of power or strength or hold on the very breath that they take? Somebody's just walking into Home Depot to pick up a extension cord you have no control and and we begin to understand that the grace of Christ what he gives us that we don't deserve is sufficient is enough a weeping pastor a seven-year-old weeping pastor in a backyard because six people from st. Louis came to help bring rubbish my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our perception everywhere is that we are the center of the earth. Your perception left unchecked is that you are the center of the earth. Or at least mankind is the purpose, the center of the earth. And our survival and our moving forward with life, that's the purpose. So we search everywhere for peace. We search everywhere for hope for, apart from God. A.W. Tozer says this, There is a strain of loneliness affecting many Christians, which only the presence of God can cure. There's a strain of loneliness infecting many Christians, which only the presence of God can cure. We search out for something, and God wants to give it to us. Augustine says this, Because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless 
until they rest in Him. Seek our pleasure in God. There will never be enough of self-fulfillment. We will always be empty. We will always be left questioning in times of, of, of tragedy. We'll always be left angry and hurting and questioning until we run to Christ. The wisest man who ever lived, Scripture tells us, is Solomon. And he wrote a book of poetry called Ecclesiastes. The wisest and richest man to ever live says this, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. During the few days of their life. Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained in me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep them, keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in my toil, that this was the reward for my toil. Then I considered that all my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. A striving after the wind, there was nothing to be gained under the sun. All of that to say, we can strive and look for stuff and look to, to please ourselves and look to, to ourselves as center and not Christ as the center. We can look to all of those things and, and have any pleasure this world can afford and own it and experience it. And whatever you want to do, do it. And vanity is the result from the richest and wisest man that ever, ever lived. This is what he speaks to us. And God will come and take from you so that you can know. Because here's the deal. So many times, not only is God not promising comfort and not promising a healthy life and, and, and well-adjusted children and a good job, so many times he's not promising that. A lot of times those things are blocks to what he's trying to say to you, which is why he whispers in the pleasures and, and shouts in the pain. Because we, we, we listen in closely. And, and I want to say this, too. If, if tragedy in your life makes you angry at God, so many times people are scared of that and scared of that emotion inside of them. This is God and I'm mad at you. What? That doesn't make sense. I want to... God is, is way bigger, way big enough for you to be mad at him. Go ahead. Because, you know, this is, this is truth. Aletheia truth is what this scripture calls truth. When the word truth appears most of the time in scripture, it's a Greek word called aletheia that is true under any matter of consideration. Any circumstance, this is true. It doesn't change. It's a 
firm grip on reality. So no matter what's going on in life, whether the tornado hits your house or whether the tornado hits down the street or whether the tornado hits in St. Louis or in Joplin or Alabama or whatever, the truth is still the truth. Christ is still Christ. He's still on top of things. He's still in complete control. But the question remains, why does God allow some people to suffer and not others? Or why does he allow some people to suffer harder than others? Why? This is where this kind of gets personal for me. The, the, okay, here, here was a picture of what happened on Good Friday. I'm like sitting right there preaching Good Friday service here, and we, we all go back into there because the tornadoes are going off, and Jen gets a text that says, for my daughter who's at home, saying, roof collapsed, I'm hurt, help. We run, get to the house. She had come up the stairs to let her boyfriend in to the house, and he said, I'm at the top of your street in the middle of the tornado, get downstairs. She's running back downstairs. Stairs are about this wide. Brianna is maybe slightly less wide than I am, okay? So we got about that, that much space on either side of her going down the stairs. The tree branch that came through my house with enough force to break through my roof, through the rafters, through the attic beams, through the ceiling, and into my basement steps was about that big around. My daughter is alive. Why? I, why, why, why do I, the lesson that I get to learn, why, the lesson that Brianna gets to learn, the lesson that my wife gets to learn, and my, my three younger children get to learn, and, and all those who love her, her boyfriend, why, why do the lesson that we get to learn not involve her death? Why does Megan Moss, and many of you know, just had a heart transplant about a year ago. She just had like her year heart birthday a few weeks ago. Why, why, did, why did that lesson end in what we sense as a great thing? Kid I grew up, uh, that was in my youth ministry, died in a car accident between junior and senior year of high school. Why does the lesson that is being taught to his family involve his death. I don't know. I have no answer. But what I do know is that my life and your life is not about you. It's not about your comfort. Also in my house, and this is really hard to, to see and watch, this this picture was in my house for two weeks before they got in and cleaned it up. Uh, the tree came in to my steps, and there's a wall, and on the other side of that wall is my son's bedroom, and his bed sits against that wall, and the tree came through there. And there, are, there were a bit of a branch and about three rafter beams laying in his bed, covered. Why did the storm not happen four hours later when my son's asleep? And maybe the sirens wake us up, maybe it doesn't. They don't. I don't. I'm glad that it didn't. I'm glad that what God was trying to teach me and my family didn't involve the death of my daughter or my son. But again, why? I, ben Summers and I were talking this week, and he said, why are we so consumed with, with calling the temporal 
blessing. You and I are temporary. The physical body we hold, everything you see is temporary. And when God gives us temporary or, or we get temporary things, and we want to call that blessing. Denny McLaren is the father of the guy who, who died in the car accident. He would, if he were sitting on this chair right now, he would say the greatest blessing of his life is the death of his son. Because it allowed him to see the beauty of who Christ is and his sufficiency in weakness and the greatness of who he is. And that it's not about Denny, it's not about John, it's not about me, it's not about you. It's not about our comfort. God, have mercy on these words. Allow these words to be met with mercy because that's hard to hear when death is surrounding you. But your life is not about comfort. It's about seizing moments and circumstances to know and understand God, to be taught lessons of complete reliance upon who He is. Philippians 1. Reading more scripture here. Starting in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Let me read that again, leaving out the life part. Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body by my death. To die is gain. Do you understand that even death is good? For me to live as Christ and know Him and understand Him and be more related to Him and be more shaped into His glory and, and who He is, but to die is gain. Verse 22, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may be ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of the coming to you again. Your life is not the end. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Therefore, if to live is Christ and to die is gain... Anything that happens to you on this earth that causes you to know or understand Christ better, we say we, there's a good category and a bad category. Anything that leads you to greater understanding, greater knowledge, greater dependence upon God, that's labeled as good. So as a result, a tornado, a death, disease, hardship, famine, we can label as good if we can seize it for the blessing of that God intends for it. But the problem of, suf of suffering on this earth is that we're so stinking self-focused. Third thing God is trying to say to us is that he's using 
circumstance to shape us. James. Chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Picture Steve Inge in that video in front of broken house, nearly coming to tears, saying joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Yes, God, thank you for tragedy, because its result is you perfecting and completing me, lacking nothing. This is the Word of God speaking to you in times of tragedy and in times when tragedy is yet to come. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Okay, we've established that we have peace with God and an eternity that's kept in heaven for us that can't perish, spoil, or fade, that is going to be ours, an inheritance that is going to be ours. Because of the truth of that, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace by which we now stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance Suffering teaches us to endure. And that endurance produces character, shaping and changing the core of who we are. And that character that's produced by endurance, that's produced by suffering, brings us hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope never leaves us, never doesn't do what it intends to do. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. The last thing, we'll be quick with this one. Fourth thing, God has something wonderfully planned. God has something wonderfully planned. In the midst of tragedy and hardship, understand that God has something wonderful planned for you. A.W. Tozer says, Eternity won't be long enough to discover all that God is or praise Him for all that He's done. A little quoted verse in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How unscrutable His ways. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How unscrutable are His ways. Like Mia, my six-year-old, when we're downstairs in the basement on Wednesday, Daddy, I don't know what's going on. Will you just please protect me? Of course. That's what God is screaming to you. I'm smarter and stronger than you could ever possibly fathom. Trust me. It's not about you. It's not about now. It's about eternity 
that I have something waiting for you. The wonder and majesty of God is too wonderful for us to comprehend, too huge for us to understand. The judgments and why he does what he does are too big for us to comprehend. And thank you, I'd rather serve a God like that than one I can hold in my hand. The last verse, 1 Corinthians 2.9. I just want to let this sit. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of mind imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. The power of God that we see in Joplin is not near the power of God that He has. The beauty and majesty of God that we see in the Grand Canyon or the Rocky Mountains, it's not near the majesty and beauty that we will behold the most beautiful, touching, heartfelt poetry that's ever been imagined in this planet is nothing compared to the deep-rooted connection that we will experience in God when this earth is past and we are in his presence. No mind can fathom what God has prepared for you. I love my wife more than I could ever imagine or speak or say. I love my children more than I could ever imagine or speak or say. But that love is a shadow of what I will experience in God when this life is over. Tragedy is temporary. God is eternal. This is what God is trying to speak to us. Trust me. Trust me. I love you. You can run around and try and gain pleasure for yourself, but I'll take it away so that you can see that I'm worthy of being trusted because in me is perfect, satisfying, eternal hope and pleasure and joy. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you that you have spoken your word to us to walk with us through difficulty and pain and suffering. God, I pray with as much fervency as I can muster, God, that you would Bring mercy to those who have lost greatly in Joplin, Father. God, I thank you that Cooper and Brianna get to be alive today. But God, really, I just want to know you. Father, draw us near into your presence. Guide us this morning as we respond to you, Father, that it's not about us. It's about knowing Jesus and making him known. It's about eternity. It's about you using circumstance to shape us. God, we thank you for Jesus. Allow us as we respond to breathe him in deeply, Father.
Christ's name.